Hey there, everybody. Welcome to uh, today's episode of The Hard Truth Inside the Football Industry Podcast with me, Philip Eidson, and Darren McAnthony, chairman and co-owner, El Presidente, as I was told it still says in the program, um, of English Championship side, Peterborough United. You know, a challenging week, I think, for uh, for you guys. How are you feeling right now? Yeah, it was... Um, yeah, uh, how am I feeling? I'm feeling better today um, than I was on Saturday and Sunday. But that's, you know, my mindset is Monday, so I've got to go again. Um, although it's the start of the month, so it's always my least favourite time. So much shit comes at you at the start of every month. But, um, yeah, it was a challenging week. You know, Wednesday we played Bournemouth. Really, really good Bournemouth team. Grind out a result. Really good in the first half. Matched them second half. We kind of shut up shop and went for the point. I suppose you've got to do that at this level, um, which isn't really quite us. But anyway, we took a point. You're thinking, okay, defence will be very good. Two clean sheets in a row at home. And then we go into Saturday, and Wednesday's a good point as long as you win on Saturday. So on Saturday, we got 1-0 up, very comfortable, um, controlling the game, and then they score from a corner. Fuck's sake, here we go again. And then they score seven minutes later, and it's like for the seventh time in 11 games, you know, we're, we're, we're folding like a cheap suit inside of a short space of time, and it's just driving you mad because my biggest thing is you don't make the same mistakes twice, and we're just making the same fucking mistakes over. It's, it's just hurting us. And then we show some bollocks and equalize, and you're thinking, okay, we're going at half time. It's a good game. We look good offensively. We don't have Jono. We don't have our target man. That's fine. We're playing very slick. The ball's on the ground. The football's good. Defensively looking a little bit, yeah. But you're thinking there's goals in this game. Let's go and win the second half. Phil, the fucking rain was biblical. I saw some of the highlights. I mean, it was insane. I, I thought at one point the ref's going to call this fucking game off. I mean, the ball wasn't moving uh, in some areas. So, you know, we kind of, I would say, what was it, the first 25 minutes of the second half? Did we create anything? No. Did they create anything? Not really. They always look dangerous when they put a the ball in the box from a corner or across the set piece. That was the only thing. They looked dangerous. And then we're going to win the game. 83rd minute, Burroughs is bundled over. It's a penalty. Nine times out of 10, you get a penalty. You go 3-2 up, five minutes to go, you like to think. And of course, referee, Premier League referee apparently doesn't give it. And they run down 20 seconds later and score from the edge of our box. And then we come alive and we create three great opportunities. You know, in the last five minutes, the ref puts up three minutes of injury time after six substitutions. I dare say if we were winning 1-0, that would have been like eight minutes long. Um, and it was just one of them. We only have ourselves to blame. Um, Bristol City are a very competent side away from home. They'd won, I think, three times away. They're better away than they are at home. But we handle them really well, you know, from an offensive point of view. We just didn't handle the physical threats defensively. So back line, goalie, not great. Midfield, okay. Front players, very good. Look dangerous, look lively. But again, didn't create as many chances we should have. Do you know what I mean? So, so it was just an opportunity lost. And it's your home form that you're hanging on to. And we've just, we, we shit the bed, you know, because it's one point in two home games. And the worst part is you're shitting the bed again before the international break. We did it against West Brom, lost at home, final kick of the game. We've lost, you know, 85th minute or whatever, final, you know, just before the internet. And you go into an international break, you know, just feeling like shit. Yeah, you're stewing on it now. You're stewing on it, you know, you just, yeah. I mean, the players, I said it yesterday in my video, they've got to take the stabilizers off now. And, uh, and they need some hard truth here. You know, I, I think me, our fans, and our management team believe they're better than the players believe they're there. I, I, I don't know if some of our players are like apologists for being in the championship and think, oh, do we belong at this level? Well, I've got news for you. You do because you're here. And don't fucking blow it. And wake the fuck up because you might not get another chance at this level. And, and I think if, if there was a bit more belief in our players, we'd already be in the top 12. You know, and, and that sounds mad having conceded 23 goals in 11 games. And, and But if you isolate it, and I've done a big stats review today, you know, we're folding like a cheap suit in a certain period of each game. It, 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 you can see the pattern. And I want to say 17 of our 23 goals we've conceded have happened in like an 18-minute period. It's like focus. It is. It's a lack of concentration. It's a lack of belief at key moments. You get to the hour mark against Coventry. You're playing really well. Coventry are an excellent side at their place. And you get a corner and you think, right, now's the chance. Put a really good set piece in, nick a goal here and put Coventry under pressure. Instead, you deliver an awful corner. They break and score. 
you know, Bournemouth on Wednesday night, the 84th minute, we get a corner. And again, you're thinking, right, here's this resilient 1-0 fucking lucky win, whatever you want to call it, at the best team in the league. Put a fucking ball in there. Let's attack it. And we don't beat the first man. It's a lazy, lethargic, shitty corner. And those key moments are fucking absolutely, like, they're shitting on us. Like, the championship's on, it's unforgiving. You know, our goalie makes a great save on Saturday, and the ball rebounds straight to their fucking player. Like, 20 yards out, you probably saw the goal. Yeah, such a frustrating goal because it's like it had to go through three players and everyone just kind of watched it go in. So nine times out of ten, you know, the goalie puts it anywhere else but to a Bristol City player. Uh, the ball hit back in is mishit and it's scuffed and you clear it and whatever. And and it, those things aren't working. They're not going our way. And that is, that's the great thing about this league. It is unforgiving, but, you know, that's on you as well. You can blame Lady Luck. You can blame referees like I've just done about the penalty. You can do all of that. But it's key moments in the key game. You know, Kanu comes off the bench. He's put in, in one-on-one from the right side of the box. Unfortunately, his first instinct is to look for a player to cross it to instead of a greedy player looking to score a goal, like like a Mo Salah, like whatever else, is in on goal thinking, right, I've got to get a shot across the goalie here. It's pissing down wet. Anything can happen. But no, and that hesitation looking to see who's in there, costs him. It takes the moment away. Yeah, then Kanu gets another one-on-one where the goalie, all he's got to do is lob the goalie. And the goalie's way off his line. And it's a, you, you'd expect any competent, you know, that's not, not a dig on Idris because that's unfair. It's his first chance this season coming off the bench. And again, so he's had two wonderful opportunities, but he hasn't hit the target with either. So it's those fundamental key moments in a game that are like costing us like big time. And when I say take the stabilizers off, our players, A, have to realize they belong. B, they have to know when they're in a game and stay in a game. In other words, there's no point in playing to the 60th minute. It's a 90-minute game. Understand that from the 60th minute to the 90th minute, you are folding. Everyone thinks you're folding. The opposition have done their analysis. They know that's the time they're going to put you under pressure. Dig the fuck in, be resilient, and go the other way. And when you get a set piece late in the game, somebody with leadership needs to go over to the player who's taking it and go, fucking concentrate and put this on the spot. Don't you fucking dare hit the first man. We've waited 84 minutes to put a ball in. Let's capitalize. And and they're all those little key times. You know what I mean? And, and it's easy to <coughs> blame your defense and blame the goalkeeper and say, well, you're conceding 23 goals. You're really, that's a team collective effort. You know, you don't concede multiple goals in seven minutes, seven times in 11 games because you're shit defensively. That's as a team, you're not concentrating. You've gone one nil down and your heads have dropped. You're not tracking back, you know, whatever it may be. You're leaving gap. Yeah, your, your, your testicles have gone back, reverted back to when you were seven and they haven't dropped yet. And you're thinking, fuck, we're one nil down away at Coventry. We're one nil down away at Luton. We're one nil down, you know, away at Preston. Wherever we are, our Sheffield United. Instead of being like, okay, fuck it. Now we've got to dig in for five to 10 minutes and then we've got to come back at them and we've got to give them some questions to answer. So look, these two weeks coming up, are probably the most important two weeks, and I can see the sensational headlines already in the ET, um, are probably the most important two weeks we've had in eight years because there's so much we have to get right over the next two weeks. We have to work on our fitness. We have to work on our concentration. We have to work on our set pieces. We have to work on our confidence. We have to work on our shape. We have to work on our formation. We've had, I want to say, four different formations in 11 games. We've played three at the back four times in 11. Not a criticism of the gap for me and him talk about this all the time. You know, for 20 months, we played three at the back 90% of the time and with a very high win rate, you know. So I always talk about trust in the process. We've been guilty maybe of distrusting, mistrusting the process and going away from it based on, oh, we need to change this up. Well, no, Blackpool have played the same formation 11 times. Coventry have played the same formation 10 out of the 11 games. If you want to look at teams that are doing well, they're, they're trusting their own process and sticking to it. And you recruit for that too, don't you? I mean, you've talked about in the past, you recruit for one formation and maybe a backup. Yes. So you recruit for that, from, trust the process. Next 10 games, trust you. I don't give a fuck if it's three at the back or five at the back or, 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 or four up front. Plant your flag, pick your formation, work on it nonstop and play it for 10 games. If you, if you win zero games or you win five, or you win six, I don't care. Stick to it. That's always been my thing. And that, you know, that is, and, and I think the gaffy agrees because he'd said it to me first. He was just like, you know, too many different formations, you know, at times. I'm like, yeah, here's the data on that. You know, so 
the two weeks are very important. Beavers is back as well. And, and you know, I always laugh that people slag off Mark Beavers. You know, he was the number one defender in League One statistically over 46 games last year, you know. And say what you want about his style or the way he looks. He's important to us. You know, he's a leader. He has a left foot in that area. It's balanced, you know, at the back. It allows us to play three at the back because you got him as the left side at centre half. So, you know, when he went down injured at 2-0 up against Cardiff on the back of winning two, about to win two home games in a row, our season almost changed a little bit there. And almost, and, and Josh Knight's lack of form as well. It's why we went away from three at the back. Those couple of key things. So we need players to find form. I need players to dig deep now. I need the Josh Knight that we spent the big money on to go, I need to get in that side. I need Beavers to get back in that side. I need Jack Taylor to stay fit, get back in the side, and not have the manager have to play him on Wednesday and rest him on Saturday because we're worried about his hamstring. You know, we can't do that anymore. Jack Taylor is the best central midfielder we've ever had for a long time. And again, he's missing on Saturday, you know, until the 60th minute. You know, we need to go past all the crap with the injuries. We need Joel Randall back. You know, we spent a million pounds on that boy because we felt he was going to be part of a fluid front three. Um, you know, and, and we haven't seen anything of him yet because he, he had a couple of ins and outs and he got injured. So we need him back. We need our young striker, Ricky, back because right now he'd be getting an opportunity and his pace would frighten the fucking life out of some of these teams late on when we're really under pressure. And there's no outlet there. And we need Clark Harris to spend the next 30 days getting in the shape of his life because I think he'd be the first to admit coming off the back of winning the Golden Boot, being the best player in League One, voted by his peers and all the professionals around him, you know, this was the most important season of his life and the shape he was in coming into it. Now, he needs to now get himself in that shape. And he needs to like, you know, he, he started the process, he's dropped weight, he's dropped body fat, but we need better. He needs to work on his hold-up play the next two weeks. If he wants to get back in the side, because he could make a massive difference to our season. Uh, and, and, and I know he's had some flack, but there's a great player in there that can play at this level. And we need him basically, when he's finally available at the end of October, to be basically forcing the manager's hand you know, getting back in. So there's so many things we need to get right at. And there's no panic for me. There's no shouting, screaming. You know, this is the championship. You have to find ways. You have to find ways to improve. You have to find ways to win. You have to find ways to not lose. You have to find ways to be defensively stronger. You know, there's there's lots of things you have to do. And going through the data this morning and sending over the report to the gaff after I spoke to him, he's got a lot there in front of him to study. And it's these small margins when you look at the statistics, it will blow your mind. You're talking about seven eight percent either way and suddenly you got eight more points and 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 you, you, you know two more shots per game you know with the with the with the percentages of once we create x amount of chances we win x amount of games all those little margins are there and where we're conceding a lot of our goals it's staring you in the face when you look at the data i'm not going to talk about it now because you don't want opposition people looking at it and stuff i'm sure they see it but again it's screaming at you where it's coming down the, you know and and then you know what to fix at least Right, you know what to fix. One thing I've got is I've got some brilliant coaches at the club. I've got a good manager. I've got some really good coaches around them. And then right to the 23s and the 8s, we've got good coaches. They can fix the issues. But they can't be fixed if the players don't believe themselves. And I think quite a few of them, you know, I'm a massive Joe Ward fan. And I hope he's listening to this message because he was such an important part of what we did last year. And he's built to play higher up. But I can't give him the melons I want to give him. And I watch him in games, and he, he, with his agility, his pace, his skill, his endeavor, he could be killing it at this level. But instead, you know, he's, he's not. And he's somebody who could be so much better. You look at him in a game, and it's a 50 50, and it's like, come on, Joe, put your bollocks on the line here. You know, you've got the quality. And I love him as a player and as a boy, but I want him to be more aggressive, I want him to be stronger. Because there's no coincidence, if he's not on form, it also hasn't helped us as a team because he played such an important part last year. People don't realise how important he was to what we did really well. Uh, and I still stand by, I think he can be a tremendous wing-back stroke, right-sided midfield winger in this league because he's got pace, he's got power, he's got skill, technique. So he's somebody that needs to come to the party. And that's not, and I know headlines will be written, I'm calling somebody out here. But I'm doing it in the right way because somebody needs to tell him, Joe, you belong. And you could be a top 10 championship player here, pal. And it could change your life and change your family's life. But you need to have a bit more belief, bud. So there's a few players like that that need to have a bit more belief. And there's a few players, like I just mentioned about Jono, who need to be a bit more professional 
in in you know what they're taking into this league and 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 what you know what they look like in their body and how they live. You know, there's a few players who need to get over their injury issues and get on with it now and get in the team and stay in the fucking team. So that's what I'd be saying to them. I'm sure the manager would be saying the same. You know, like I said, no more stabilizers. It's like it, it, it's time now. It's either you know sink or swim and go really well. You know, and 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 I think look next 10 games are going to be a lot different than the 10 or 11 we just had and uh, you, you know you make your own luck and we've we've had some bad bits of luck but we've also brought that on ourselves as well yeah you know from an outsider perspective i don't think there's any doubt that you've got the players mm. which is probably what makes it most frustrating at the moment is you just know there's a lot more in there correct correct it's so frustrating phil i know they're better i i, I watch i watch frankie and dan frankie Kent and dan butler play at home and they look like proper championship defenders I watch them play away from home and they're glazed in their eyes. And it's like, it's a difference of a stadium. It's the same pitch. It's the same quality of players. I know those two lads are better players than they're showing. I know they are. And and, and I'm just going, where are you? You're brilliant at home. We go away from home. And yes, collectively, we're not good away from home in certain periods. But they're them two in particular are leaders. So again, where are you, boys? You know, Nathan Thompson. How good was he against Bournemouth? I've, I've got to give the guy so much credit. He's probably been so far our player of the season so far in how he's been, applying himself. He's a leader. Um, he's a warrior. Um, so much credit to him. He's grasping his opportunity late in his career playing in the championship. And I want all the players around looking at themselves and going, let's not blow this for Nathan. He belongs at this level and he's given it his all. And everyone else needs to do the same. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, you know, the mindset thing, is that something that can be... I don't want to use the word fixed. Is it something that can be worked on on the training ground, or, or does that confidence come from results? They that you got to be, you know, being in a away game, be facing that situation, turn it around, and and get the belief from from you know in game. Yeah, so it comes from you dig in and get a really good result against a top Bournemouth side. You got four twenty million pound players in their team that played us or whatever, you know, and then you go and beat Bristol City. And then you go into the international break feeling a million dollars going, right, we've got two away games coming up. We're going to fix this issue. So the players should not have lost that game on Saturday. You know, they should have been so mentally and physically ready not to make those defensive errors on Saturday. There's no way they should have lost that game. So now they've got to come out of the break and they've got to go, we've got Middlesbrough and Hull, two really tough away games. But we've got to go win those games. We've got to go and, and change our story away from home and we've got to go on a winning run. And there's no doubt in my mind we can win three, four games in a row. Blackpool have just shown you what you can do. They've just won, I think, four and five. You know, they've dug in, and, and it all started, I think, with a really, really resilient 1-0 win at home against, it was at Fulham. Yeah. So our players have to do that as well. And I've got no doubt they will. And what happens is when you start putting a few wins together, it gives everyone confidence. Because the one thing I'm going to say is our fans haven't left us. In the past, our fans would be getting down on us and they'd be giving us a bit of grief and whatever else. But those last two home games, listening to the fans, knowing what's going on, the fans have been with us. They, they appreciate the effort the players are putting in. They see players who are in pain. They see players who need support. Because the one easy thing to do is, is just you you go all in on hammering the players. Ah, you're a bunch of League One. Ah, you're not good enough. Ah, the recruitment's crap. Ah, you know, fucking, you're not trying. I would never accuse our players of not trying. Even when we folded like fucking cheap suits and conceded batches of goals away from home, that wasn't from lack of trying. You know what I mean? That was bad circumstances, bad periods in games. Do you know what I mean? So our players are honest people. You know, I've, I've had teams in the past who gave up. You know, I've, I've been around 15 years. I've seen a football team give up a few times. And I can't say in any of the 11 games, even losing 6-2 to Sheffield United, they gave up. They didn't. So I would never accuse this bunch of players of giving up. But I think they definitely have to, A, give themselves more credit, B, dig deeper, and C, put a few games together where they're not conceding silly goals and where they're giving the opposition something to think about. So that, that's what we need to do. And, and I'm confident we'll do that. So as much as I'm irritated with everything, this is football. I'd have it no other way. This is the championship. This is what you fight so hard to get here for. Now, you've been pretty busy off the field as well as on the field um, the last few days. Um, so... Johnson Clark Harris got his a far game ban that you did initially appeal, and then uh, I believe withdrew the appeal. Can you just talk a little bit about that? See, so, yeah, we got the ban sent in. I was fucking outraged. I was so angry about it. I wanted to go like Harry Carey on, on 
you know, social media, but I was told to calm down. Um, he's made a mistake. He's put out stupid tweets when he's 18. He's used a word. Uh, I'm going to say the word now, and I don't insult anyone. Batty. He's talked about, which is, I think it's got a homosexual connotation to it in a derogatory way. So he's done that at 18. And nobody ever condones that. It's a stupid fucking word. And it's an ignorant word. And certainly in today's day and age, you can't, you know, back then people said loads of stupid shit. But it's unforgivable, yes, but you apologize, you move on. I'm not sure we should be punishing people today for stuff they did on social media a decade ago. I just, I'm not, I'm not with that. And I know you're a liberal. And I know you might have a different maybe idea on that. I don't know. No, because I think everybody says things that you look back and think, you know, I did something stupid when I was less mature. And, you know, imagine, like we've talked about, you know, your kids on social and you kind of the cancel culture. And I mean, as much as a lib I am, I believe that you mature and you move on in your life and what you say earlier in your life doesn't represent who you are today. No, no Phil, I, I did stupid shit when I was 17, 18. Um, it wasn't illegal, but it was stupid shit. But to be to be judged and punished for st- even stuff ten years ago, even when you're forty five, I just I think you're allowed to grow. I think you're allowed to mature. I think times change. I think what's acceptable then isn't necessarily acceptable today. I think everyone's a lot more sensitive nowadays um, about stuff. We've seen that using words like you just said, "Hey, darling," to some woman, or you, you just can't say certain stuff now that you could do ten years ago. Comedians. If you watched Eddie Murphy Raw back in the day, it was one of my favorite shows, comedian-wise. The shit he said then, he couldn't get away with now. And and I've seen comedians like be canceled online because of some of their sets they did where there was racial connotations, there was homosexual connotations. It was just stuff you couldn't say now, but you could then. So I was angry because we studied a lot of it. There was a Premier League footballer who used the N-word who basically, because he wasn't professionally contracted to a club, got a free pass by the FA. And got to do a course. So there was another player who used tweets to talk about killing gay people. So somebody used the N-word, got zero. You then had Cavani had posted something that was seen as a racial slur. He ended up with a three-match ban. You then obviously have the player who was using the gay uh, gay slurs and, and talking about killing homosexuals, who basically got a four-match ban. You then got Clark Harris, a young black man, who made a mistake in his teens, who said the word batty and has had a worse punishment than someone that's used the N-word and the same punishment as someone who's talked about killing gay people on, on, a, on a social media post. Does that make sense to you as, a, as an independent and partial person? Does that make sense to you? No, that the whole frustration is there's, there's no consistency. Right, so there's no consistency. So I was expecting to come back with a one-match ban and a three-match suspended ban and a fine. Okay, fine. And, and you know, he's got to learn from it. And, and, you know, you can't do that shit, even when you're 18. So I'm furious. And I'd love someone to start a GoFundMe page to spend some money investigating every member of the FA board to see what they all did when they were 17, 18, 19, and 20. Because I guarantee you, if I hired a private investigator, yeah, I could dig up some fucking salacious shit, a lot worse than this, than those people who keep making these rules, these draconian rules, yeah? This isn't re-educating or educating people. This is punishing somebody um, where the, the, the penalty doesn't fit the crime, in my opinion. I'm sorry. That might upset people nowadays. I've got a lot of gay friends. That might upset them as well. But I'm sorry it doesn't. Him using those stupid words at 18 shouldn't mean 10 years later he's fined and missing nearly a month of football. No, I, that, that's wrong for me. Um, and and today we live in a world now where we talk about racism, we talk about changing the game. We're talking about a player when they were 15, 16, or 17 using the, the N-word, not getting a ban. And you're talking about a player who is black, who, you know, makes a stupid comment, ends up with a four-match ban. That, that, that doesn't make sense. So I was angry. We appealed it. The lawyer said, look, we could get the appeal put off for a month. The manager in the end decided to make the decision, look, I just want to get it done and dealt with. Yeah, so on. we'll take it. We'll use the month to get him fit in great condition so that we've got prime, peak, fit Clark Harris who's going to be like an animal come November time ready to attack this league. Mm-hmm. So that's the hope. That's where we are. But yeah, I, I was raging about the decision because I'm just like, you know, these everyone from their ivory towers telling you how you should live and what you should say and our shit doesn't stink. 
I guarantee if I look into everyone, and you're a pretty squeaky clean guy, but I guarantee if I track down people from where you live fucking around Bradford 20 years ago mm-hmm. or 30 years ago, they uh, probably dropped some fucking bad jokes you didn't want to, but they were cool at the time. And nowadays you'd be fucking cancelled. So, you know, come on, come on. And meanwhile, the FA said you should count yourself lucky it was only four games. When I saw that, when I saw that, yeah. I just like, yeah. And they'll probably charge me for the stuff I've just spoken about. I'm just like, yeah, I'm... I'm like enough already like enough already like it's nonsense we need to stop this crap with all of this we need to stop going after people for the stuff they did 10 years ago there should be a statute of limitations philip you know american law you know i think you could rob a bank 10 years ago and i think the statute of limitations is five to seven years for that offense you know people basically have done shit in america they can't be tried for nowadays 10 years later you cannot do this to people anymore you cannot keep trying to go after young people for mistakes they made when they were kids. And to the person who actually reported them, you sad little bitter, twisted fuckwit. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, how how shit are you? You know what I mean? That you actually went out and looked for that. I fucking despise people, some people nowadays. Yeah, I mean, you're basically encouraging all players to delete their social media presence. And at the same time, you're trying to encourage players to engage with fans so that there's more connection. So you can't have your cake both ways you know no you can't no you can't no you can't so anyway moving on yes let's go across uh, some of the other results this weekend we've taken let's up talk bradford how did you guys do we won 2-0 against hey. Rochdale at home so i said you would back to winning ways first win in seven i think it was we played okay you know i think that um if they'd have been able to finish then it could have been a very different story because they had lots of clear-cut chances but at this point, I'll take a win and move on, and hopefully, kind of the momentum starts to build and the belief again, as you were talking about earlier, starts to grow. Yeah, you d- you dug one out. How was the crowd? Um, yeah, the crowd. I mean, in terms of numbers, it was back up to sixteen, pretty much sixteen thousand. In terms of how they supported the club, yeah, I mean, they were they were behind them. You know, it was a little bit quiet, but I think that you know, after losing all the games we have, maybe it knocked the stuffing out of them a little bit. But there was no, they weren't getting on the players' backs or anything. Well, look. That's that's the kind of win, you know, you need, you know, d- yeah, digging out. And I, I said that to you actually going into the weekend, you were playing Rochdale. And, you know, you you probably get back to winning ways. Who, who, who's your next few games have you got? Um, we got, I'm only looking one one ahead at a time at the moment, but we got Newport away next. Um, Ooh, just won 3-0 after sacking their manager now. Yeah, what a strange, like we talked about the sack race last week. I mean, I'm not sure if it was a sacking or a resignation, but... Yeah, well, what was that? That was bizarre because Newport aren't that club that would do that, you know, like get rid of a manager after two playoff finals and, and like, yeah. You know, back when he lost in the playoffs, you know, he said about, I got to make a decision on whether I come back. You know, some things have changed around here and I'm not really sure what I'm going to do. And obviously he did come back perhaps things didn't still change to his liking or he just decided maybe the grass is greener somewhere else. It seems like I can't imagine that would be a decision that Newport would make because it would be, I mean, it would be a crazy decision to make. If yeah, they, they, yeah, they're fan, they're fan owned. So, you know, they do tend to be more patient with managers. Um, really well-run football club. I mean, I, I haven't read enough about behind the scenes. You don't know what's going on. They have a technical director I think he has to report to. Yeah, who was brought in, I think, in the summer or just before the summer. That's right. So, look, sometimes it happens with managers. I've had it with my own manager where you get them to stay past the point where they think they've they've done all they can and they need a break or, you know, and he's probably thought, look, I've had two playoff campaigns that didn't work out. You know, we, we've climbed close to the top of the hill as we could for a club our size. And it takes so much out of you, you know, a getting there and sometimes nearly getting there and maybe you know look they obviously responded with a good win on saturday but i was looking at the results before and go well they won three out of nine you know they've got a few sticky games i mean you know knowing him he'll get them in there again um you know as a newport fan i'm sure they're worried because he's been so good for them over the last like a few years um but yeah any any favorites for the job or any favorites um you know the ones that i've been reading so far are just some usual not particularly inspiring suspects maybe you know some folks from within um people who would seem to be a downgrade right on him um you know maybe there's a point where it comes where you think oh he, he doesn't believe he's gonna be achieve be able to achieve the same that he's achieved with this squad and perhaps for his own reputation Probably why you should have gone in the summer, because you're going, well, I've had two playoff campaigns. You know, now I'm a very attractive proposition. So he probably thought, I'll get out now in case, you know, things don't go to plan this season. That's going to tarnish my CV. So 
look, I don't want to speak for him, um, but I think he's a good manager. I respect him. So it'll be interesting to see where he goes next. Any other standout League 2 results as we move up the leagues? Uh, let's see what happened in League 2 this weekend. I'll go and grab my, uh, my results <laughs> sheets here. We had... Henry has as well stocked with things here. So let's see. So Harrogate continued their push. Their yeah, second. incredible. Incredible. Forest Green won. Yep. Um, there's a lot of late goals from what I can recall. Bristol Rovers still struggling. Uh, Mansfield still struggling. They lost at home to Barrow. Uh, we did have a Mansfield fan on Twitter telling us that um, they basically have, I think it was no defense they have at this point. So they've got their best striker is now a makeshift center half. So there's... The fans haven't turned. They kind of realize that there's um, uh, extenuating circumstances, but obviously they don't want this to carry on for much longer. Um, and Sutton being Northampton, you know, at Northampton, Sutton, that start of the season, you're wondering where the first win's going to come from, and now they're only a point below City. So they've done well. Yeah, no, that, that's good. And then in League One, I want to say Accrington had the result of the weekend. They, they won 2-1 against Ipswich. Yeah, um, and I think Ipswich grumbling about, um, you know, the environment that they found themselves in. So they didn't take it too well. Oh, I, oh, I didn't read that. Give me the juice. Yeah, one of the Ips, I think it may have been the captain. Right. Saying how, you know, basically, basically they're a non-league outfit. Um, you know, we didn't like their tactics. You know, you had one chap who booted the ball out of the ground to time waste not liking the hand that he was dealt. Sour grapes. Yeah, I, I, I listen, I'm, I'm, I'm not best friends with the Accrington owner, but they're a long way from being a non-league club anymore. And, uh, you, 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 you know, am I surprised by Akron and Stanley beating an Ipswich 2-1? No. That's, that's you know, th- five years ago, you'd be like, oh my God, that's like the standout result of the day. Um, but no, you know, they're a different outfit under Coleman and obviously with their owner. So, and that's just the Ips. I'm sure he re- regrets those comments, the Ipswich, the, whoever said that for Ipswich. So, you know, interesting. I see Sunderland got fucking battered by Pompey. Yeah, right. That was, that was like, I, when I saw the result, I went to see how many red cards Sunderland had because I just presumed, mm-hmm. you know, you sometimes you see a result and you go, ah, two red cards. That's why it was like 4-0 or whatever else. I mean, What's going on there? Was that the conditions? Because, I mean, Sunderland have been the best team like pretty much in the whole of the EFL the start of the season. Yeah, and I think, off memory, it was 3-0 at half time. So it was one of those where the goals just kept coming and it was game over before it started. Fair play. And uh, Wigan, obviously, continuing their strong uh, run of results, top of the table. Yeah, we had... Um... What else? Oh, Doncaster. So we talked about Doncaster last week being bottom, beating MK Dons at home. That was a shocker. And the other one was... Charlton won a much much needed win, didn't they? They had a big win. Yeah, Fleetwood. And Oxford winning at Hillsborough. They beat Sheffield Wednesday 2-1. Yeah, not surprised by that. You know, Oxford are kind of been around the periphery of playoffs and whatever else. So that, that that's not a shocker. Rotherham doing Rotherham things again. Yeah, that, that league's going to take shape, you know. By, by November, you'll have a good idea who the three... You know, that's early for me to say that, but you'd have a good idea who your three are that are going to go up out of that league, in my opinion. So we'll have to discuss that maybe the end of November going into Christmas. I have to give a shout out, as much as it pains me to uh, producer Henry and Bolton, um, continuing to do well. You know, they're in seventh and looking pretty strong as well. And of course, I, the local Bolton media went after me, didn't they? Oh, like, yes, they the did, last, didn't last they? Oh my God. <laughs> Why do journalists always have to like take bits from my podcast and just go, you know, make it like, you know... Well, listen, it, it is what it is. Do you know what I mean? But yeah, obviously I wasn't popular Bolton way after that. Told some column inches. Yes, yes. Yeah, give me a break. Stop. And, and if you're going to do it, put an actual link to the podcast in your news article. <laughs> We're not letting you write about our podcast anymore. We're actually without a link to our website. So there you go. Anyone listening who's a journalist, you got to put the link in. So what about the championship? Any shocks? Well, I think Coventry had a bit of a topsy-turvy week, didn't they? Um, you know, we talked about them, and I don't have the results in front of me, but I seem to recall they lost maybe 5-0, was it, on Tuesday? And then they turned that around into 4-1 at home to Fulham. They blitzed Fulham in like 20 minutes. Um, I think they were one, one down, and then they absolutely battered them for like 20 minutes. Look, Coventry are capable of doing that. I, we spoke about them last week. It's the madness of the championship. Blackpool had a tremendous win over Blackburn. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Hull turned their form around with a win. Um, at Bournemouth again unbeaten at another big win like I said to you Bournemouth for me after playing them and seeing all the teams we've seen I'm thinking now they'll probably win the league um, and then Barnsley down there you know Barnsley um, haven't won in at least five I'm not sure if it's more I only see the last five results I know, I, I know the feeling <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> 
but that just shows you how how quickly things can change in both directions. That's the league. That's the league. So that's what I'm saying. It's important coming out of the international break to really, really kick on. And, and, and that's key. Did you watch the Liverpool-Man City game yesterday? I didn't. I saw some highlights this morning. Oh, wow. That was sensational. Yeah. Sensational game. I mean, there was a period there in the first half, the last, I'd say from the 20th minute onwards, where you're thinking Liverpool looked like a lower league side against Man City. Mm-hmm. Man City, were just, it, it looked like posh playing the Premier League team for a minute. And Man City was just so dominant. Whatever Klopp said at halftime, fair play, he earned his money. Was there a different outfit in the second half? Um, the concern for Liverpool would be that's Chelsea and Man City who visited Anfield now, and that's two points, you know, and, and led in both those games. And the concern would be last two games, five league goals conceded with that back line, and that's Van Dijk and Matip in centre defence. So that that that's a concern for me that we're now when we won the title a couple of years ago, you know, Van Dijk, the goalie, did massive points, you know, clean sheets, a lot of wins. I think we won 18 out of 19 at home. Um, and, you know, that's two draws at home already against, you know, title challengers. So, yeah, it was a great game though to watch. Enjoyed that. Is the realistic realistic expectation for, you know, did you go into that game thinking we should be winning that game, Liverpool should be winning that game, or a draw is good enough? No, I would expect Liverpool to win every game in Anfield. Uh, and Klopp with Liverpool and Anfield, he's got a good record against Man City. I expect him to win every game in Anfield. So, you know, I expect him to beat Man City at Anfield. I expect him to beat Chelsea. Um, this early in the season, I think, having played four home games and drawn two of them, you know, yeah, that's not good for me. Um, there, there's so much about Liverpool that's impressive with a strong eleven. But there's always those concerns. You know, like Mo Salah is probably the best player in the world right now, the way he's playing. Um, and yeah, it was, you know, when we went 2-1 up, I thought, right, we got this now. And then they score within like, I think, 10 minutes, you know. And and it didn't take a lot to, to open us up, you know, for Man City. And, and that's the concern. It's like so, when they tried. Or maybe they were holding something back. And then when they were 2-1 down, they, they threw everything at it again. Yeah, so that was kind of one of them. But I have to say, it was one of them games you didn't want to end. It was a very entertaining game. I really, really enjoyed that this weekend. And, and you know, the standard in the Premier League, I mean, that was, if you're looking as an outsider from any other league in the world, you're thinking, fucking hell, that's two of the best teams in the world going at it there. Because that's how good it was as a game, you know what I mean? It, it had 3-3 three, three or 4-4 four, four written all over at one point, but 2-2 two, two was fine. Meanwhile, we did have our first sacking this weekend with the Watford manager getting sacked. No shock. <laughs> no. no shock. Were they 14th in the league? Yeah, <laughs> no I mean, coming, yeah. Uh, although everyone's trying to, uh, the Watford fans are trying to say, well, if you'd have actually watched the games, you know, you know that uh, it felt a lot worse than being 14th in the league is. Or uh, 15th in the league, yeah. <sighs> you know, he gets them up. You know, the 15th in the league, they're not 18th, they're not 19th. They bring Ranieri and the old Tinkerman back. Um, you know, Fulham tried that a couple of seasons ago and that didn't work. So, I don't know. Look, Watford's a really unique situation the way they run their club. You know, they, they that really is a head coach job. You know what I mean? You know, they recruit all the players. They do the deals. The Pozos who own it, I think is that right way to pronounce it, the people behind the scenes. Who might have questioned it? They had a long, prolonged period in the Premier League. They went down to the champ. They've got themselves back out. Oh, so whatever works for you. It seems like a case of uh, Ranieri came and said, you know, I might be available if you're interested. And that was their excuse to... Uh, um, you know, to sack the manager. I'll give him 15 games. Yeah. Um, and what else we got? So we have um, Man United uh, drawing Everton. More and more people are starting to uh, question that. Um, I actually had some folks say it was really insightful what you said about Ori being a yes man. Um, I'll put this. Man United, I watched Liverpool Man City yesterday. And if any Man United fan could watch that game and tell me, hand on heart, that some of the football that was played yesterday, United could have lived with that. I'm not sure they could have. And um, Ole is obviously a very honest guy, but we all know he got the job. It was almost by accident. He was like caretaker. And to be fair to the Glazers and the people running the club, they've recruited really well. Man United have a squad that should be exciting and they shouldn't be struggling to get a draw against Everton. No disrespect. That's Rafa Benitez who frustrate the shit out of you. And it's all very well saying, well, you should have played Ronaldo from the start. And is this going on, that going on? Forget about it. Even without Cristiano Ronaldo, United still should be a force to be reckoned with. 
I mean, you know, give Liverpool, um, you know, Greenwood and Rashford and some of the attacking talent as, you know, because we've got basically three good strikers at Liverpool. Bobby, I've always said for me, is on his way out, you know, 30s, his best years are behind him. Um, you know, and the signings they've made, you know, Varane, you know, obviously Sancho. Yeah, I mean, United should be doing a lot better. But I, for some reason, I don't think that's firing because I think what will happen is he'll stabilise it. He'll get in top four again. He'll get to the final of the FA Cup. He might even win the FA Cup. But for me, that man's not winning any league titles anytime soon. Um, you, you know, the, the pecking order in the Premier League is Guardiola, Klopp, close together. If you look at the record the last three, four years, Liverpool are ahead of United, or ahead of Man City on points one. You then have Tuchel. Yep. And then who would you have in there? I guess you'd have to put Solskjaer in there then based on, you know, getting to the Champions League last year. So in fourth place. Um, but he's a distant fourth in their top three. Those three are in a tier on their own, in my, in my opinion. Now, every man and his dog is talking about Mo Salah's goal. The question is, are there any goals, posh or otherwise, that are the most memorable for you? as you think back to goals that stick in your mind. Yeah, we, we once beat uh, Sheffield United 3-2 away from home. And there's a kid called Samuelson, who was from West Ham on loan. And he looked like the second coming of Lionel Messi. He went around seven players. Look it up one day when you have a chance. He went around seven players and finished with a plum. It was like one of the greatest individual goals I've ever seen. Another goal that stands out for me was years ago, we beat Charlton 2-0 away. Guion Edwards went past five players, ran 50 yards. And again, the finish was just exceptional. So, you know, going higher up, I mean, you know, Messi, Christ, you could probably look at 100 of his 800 goals he scored. He's probably done shit like that. Maradona, you know, 86 World Cup, you know, all of those things. Salas, because of the tight angle, it wasn't like he ran down the middle. He was coming in from the right-hand side. His angles were ridiculous. His control of the ball was ridiculous. His right foot usually is shit. So to finish the way he did on his right foot was probably a bigger shock to the Man City goalie because of the velocity behind the shot, which took it with the spin, you know what I mean, in off the post. It was, yeah, I mean, for a minute, my missus was sat watching with me and I was like, did that go in? I didn't know, but, you know, I was like, did, did that go in or go behind the goal? You know what I mean? It was only him celebrating or realizing it had gone in. And I was like, wow. So, yeah, it was, it, listen, the game was brilliant. That was how football should be played. It was like, it was proper, like full throttle football for a good 90 minutes. Yeah, I loved it. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and then uh, we have some questions to get to. Excellent. Hey, everybody. Welcome back. We're going to go straight into the questions. The first question that I have is from Andy on Twitter. Andy asks, do the stats that you get on players come from a database that's available to every club or do all clubs have their own system? Some clubs have their own system. Some clubs use different. You've got Instat, you've got um, Scout, you've got, there's like four or five now, top tier software companies that, you know, design it, you pay for the service, they send it to you. I get a mixture of three different statistics um, from three different sources, as do my scouts, my gem scouts. And, uh, and we put together. Mm-hmm. I don't like to look at weekly ones. I like to look at monthly ones. I don't think you get a good gauge over seven days. So I, I, I like a good body of work. So 30 days is a good body of work to get all the information. So like I said this morning, I've just done a whole two-page document, you know, to send over to the gaff with all the statistics and, you know, some key things that you can just, they're, they're screaming at you in the screen. Do you know what I mean? That like, okay, you know, you don't fix that. You're fucking dead in the water. Or if you do that 20% better, you're suddenly 14. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's as fine as that. It's just tiny. You know what I mean? But anyway, each to their own. Everyone has it. Now, I dare say the bigger clubs probably spend a lot more money and have their own individual statisticians working for them and actually go out there getting data. So, you know, if we had a 300 million pound budget, I'd probably have a whole, you know, I would have a data room and I would have data analysts, you know what I mean? Probably have four or five of them working on us and all the various leagues around the world. 100%. It'd be like a wet dream for me. Um, Greg on email um, writes, the amount of Australian players playing in the Premier League seems to have dried up over the last 10 years. What does Dara think of Australia as a source of talent? Um, Do you have an opinion on the A-League in general? Yeah, I've seen the A-League. Not a great fan of it. Um, You know, good support. I see Sturridge just signed out there. He's obviously getting one final payday. Um, You're absolutely right. There's been some fantastic Aussies that have come through. And um, and it has dried up. There was a period there where there was four or five Australians you could name like at a drop of a hat. Now I dare say with everything going on, where it's like COVID military over there in Australia, you're not going to have many people coming out of there anytime they soon. Were ce- they were celebrating being the uh, most open, and now it's gone in the other direction. 
yeah, they've had more lockdowns than anyone else. So even more than California. So they really are like cracking the record books. But um, so, you know, I, I'm always up for it. The, the problem for a club like ours is, you know, it's the work permits, it's the rules, it's how do you get people over from Australia? You know, it's getting tougher and tougher all the time. Um, I wouldn't mind. I've always wanted to visit Australia. So I would go to an A-League game. Seeing what's happened with COVID would be the last place on earth I'd want to visit at the moment, the way they've treated the people. So, you know, that's off my visit list for a long time. <laughs> um, Zach, who's a Leeds fan, says, uh, I was wondering what the process for sacking a manager actually is. Are most managers surprised or are they expecting to be sacked, you know, after a given result? Are they kind of told, hey, if you you don't um, shape up after this one, you're a goner? And also, do managers take their sacking on the chin or do they attempt to bargain or beg to keep their jobs? It's a mixture, you know. A lot of managers will know. Some will be surprised. Um, some sackings can come off an argument, not necessarily results. Some sackings will come from results. Some sackings will come off personality dysfunction between an ownership and a, and a manager. Um, I have managers, you know, begged. Uh, yes, I've seen that, you know. And, and I'm not talking about my current manager. He's far too proud of a guy. He's more inclined to go, fuck you, I mean, than beg to keep a job. I'll show you. Yeah, but I, I, I had one manager basically like basically said it, that they'd stay for free just to you know get to the end of the season. I was like, no. So you, you know, and it took me twenty minutes to get out of his office after I'd sacked him. It was it got it to the point where it got uncomfortable. I said, look, I'm not changing my mind. This is happening whether you fucking like it or not. So, um, and, and some can be surprised. You know, uh, we drew against Charlton. We were sixth, and I think when I let Steve go, Steve Evans in my office, he was kind of he was very very surprised. Um, you know, it, it caught him on the hop, but he took it. He took it like a man, you know, at the time. Um, and and a lot of managers have taken it like a man because I think in that profession and that field, that industry, they know, you know, the life expectancy of a manager is like eleven point one. It's eleven months in one week. Um, you know, it's not the kind of job anyone who loves the word stability should be going out of their way to get. Um, it is like it's probably the most horrible industry to work in from a job security point of view. Um, so yeah, so that that's the way it is, and 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 likewise, you can have managers who I tell you was never a good sign. If somebody wants to resign, let them resign, because I've always found in my work life and sports life, if someone wants to leave and you convince them to stay, it never ends well. If someone doesn't want to be there, and that includes your missus or your husband, if they don't want to be there, fucking cut them loose, and let them find out the grass isn't always greener. But the mistake you can make sometimes is, well, I can make this work and I'm going to make them stay and I'm going to, you know, whatever else. And, and I've made that mistake too many times in sports and in business, you know, where you think, oh, just like one of, you know, people are going about Lee Tomlin was released today from Cardiff. You know, oh, get on that and sign him in January. No, we've had too many ex-players come back and it just hasn't worked. And not to mention, we've got about six different number 10s. So, you, you, and, and listen, Lee Tomlin is like a, a, a young son to me. Do you know what I mean? I love him to bits, but... You know, and, and he'll, he'll end up at a good club in January. But yeah, sometimes going back isn't always the way. Yeah, you know, if if he wants, uh, he wants he wants to find a home who needs a number ten and have big crowds uh, and need to get back up the leagues, then there may be a home for him at Bradford. There's a, let me tell you right now, Tomo likes a nice paycheck. Mm-hmm. So I dare say, if, if Ryan could manage to pay him ten grand a week, five <laughs> grand appearance, five grand a goal, you got yourself the best player outside the championship. And guaranteed promotion. <laughs> he may be uh, waiting by the phone a while then, if there's a demand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you say that, that that's, that's 500 grand out of your budget. Um, well, that kind of football he would create goals for, how many extra on the gate would that bring in to pay that? Yeah, you'd get three or 4,000 extra in. Yeah, that, that's, that's 50 grand a game. Mm-hmm. Do that over 15 home games, there's your money covered. So, you know, that's the way it works. Um, but it's whether or not you've got the cojones to take that risk. Um, you, you, you know, and but I know one thing about him, he's far too good for League Two, he's far too good for League One, right? However, he's at the age in his career where a three year contract would probably like I convinced Beavers to drop from the champ to League One. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes the deals can be done. Hey, fucking hell, I would love that, Bradford. So, if you're listening, the German owner, Ryan's listening, you know, getting the phone, do what you got to do. That is a guaranteed fucking league title. <laughs> Um, you talked about managers kind of losing their jobs and not being pressured into staying when you're ready to go. Now, have you had situations where you've had managers who their agents start talking up their manager when about other clubs because they're trying to put pressure on you to do something that perhaps you haven't done, or whether it's given them extra budget or whether you know they're wanting a contract extension? The reason I say this is 
you know, for us, when Phil Parkinson was in charge and when we were doing well, there was always, you know, somebody else sniffing around when a manager, you know, Sheffield United job comes up or Blackpool job comes up or whatever the job is where suddenly he's talked about, you know, then within a week or two, he's got himself a new contract. Uh, you know, how do you think about situations like that? So I, I don't, I don't play into the circus narrative of all of that. And I, I warned, you know, a few managers who came in, not my current one, you know, who'd been known for that kind of stuff. Don't play games with me mm-hmm. because I know all the press. I know all the journalists. I know all the gossip column writers. So I will find out if it was you, your agent, who planted the fucking story. So you work for me. Don't play games. I don't deal with a circus. Well, I'm not, I'm not fond of a clown show. So, you know, for me, if that keeps happening, I'm kicking them out the fucking door. Mm-hmm. I can't be dealing with it. So if you want to go to that club, have at it. Nine times out of 10, it's fucking nonsense. Do you know what I mean? And the other thing you do is I'd tell Barry, ring up Bradford, ring up Sheffield, you know, ring up whoever else and, and ask them the question, do you want my manager? Mm-hmm. If you want my manager, let's do a deal. Just go through the front door. And, and you know, a lot of shit you read about players here, players here, players linked. Just make the phone call. Pick up the phone. Everyone's got their price at the end of the yeah, day. Yeah, pick up the phone. That's it. Get it done. All right. Last question for today um, is from Jeff, who said, and this is a really interesting one because fans often have a different view than um, you know the, the folks inside of a business. How much would you as an owner or director of a business, how would you decide your own remuneration? Um, I mean, Jeff says not so much a football club, but a typical business. But I think the... Um, um, the intention there is the same. Like, how do you set how much a business pays you? Well, when I started my first business, it was like hand to mouth. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm trying to build a business, but I'm still got to pay my rent. I still have to pay for my car. I still have to pay for food. And then you get to a point where you're like, okay, how, if my business is thriving, now I need to buy a house. Now I need to buy a nicer car. And, you know, only you know the answer to that at the end of the day. So, you know, you also have to figure out what, what salary gives you the life you want. You know, are you happy living a seven out of 10 life? Will a hundred grand a year do that? Or do you want a 10 out of 10 life where you need a million quid a year? So you have to decide that amount for you. I know what my magic number is to live a life that, you know, has me very excited every day getting up out of bed. And I know a number that I don't want to get out of fucking bed. Do you know what I mean? If I'm not getting it because I don't look at the world around that. So that comes down to an individual. That comes down to the business. I can't speak for that. Just like you're building a procurement business, you're doing really well. You know yourself, the number you and Beth needs, you know, for you, the boys, to live a good life here in Florida. You know, whether that's 80 grand a year, or 100 grand a year, great. You need to get to that figure. And then anything after that's gravy. And you go on from that and that and that. It's very, very difficult sometimes while you're bus- building a business to, to kind of like juggle that all. It's really difficult, but once you start seeing excess pockets of money, you can make bigger decisions. And on that note, we will bid everyone farewell and tune in and tell your friends and family about it, hardtruthfootball.com, and we shall see you and speak to you next week. Yeah, and keep those questions coming in, hardtruthfootball.com slash contact um, is the way to go. We uh, love the questions you receive. We thank you for listening in to today's episode, and we'll be back again same time next week. Thanks, Phil. Thanks, Phil.